Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Stumbling Blocks. All right, well, if you are a parent, then I know something about you. I know that your children's safety is something that is very important to you. In fact, the safety of your children is so important that you will go out of your way to keep them out of harm's way. Now, one of the things that parents do, one of the many things that parents do to keep their children safe is they child-proof their homes. How many parents ever child-proofed your homes, right? And so that's what you do. And so that, that means um, you, you make sure that sharp things like scissors and knives and utensils are out of the reach of your children. Uh, potential choking hazards, you know, like little batteries or latex balloons or pen caps, they're all locked away. You'll go out of your way to put latches on all of your cabinet doors. You'll put um, gates at, both at the bottom and at the top of the staircase. You'll put a fence around your pool. You'll put padding on, on, on the corners of your furniture. You'll put little uh, plugs into your outlets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You will go out of your way. You'll take certain measures because you love your kids and you want to protect your kids. So just like in the home, mature parents go out of their way to keep their children safe. So in the church, mature saints should go out of their way to keep other believers safe, to help them and not hinder them in their walk with the Lord. In our passage today, Paul's gonna exhort those who are strong in the faith to love, care for, protect, look out for those who are younger in the faith. That's the context of where we are in Paul's letter to the Romans. And just to kind of frame the context, Right? Look at chapter 14, verse 1. We covered this last week, but chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says, receive one who is, what's the word? Weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Okay, so the, the, the younger people in the Lord, those who have not matured yet in the Lord, those who don't really understand yet all of the freedoms that they have in Jesus Christ. And now look at chapter 15, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse one, we then who are, what's the word? Strong ought to bear with the scruples of the who? And not to please ourselves. And so there you have two verses that frame the context of this section of Paul's letter to the Romans. So Paul's encouraging those who are strong in the faith, like parents who will go out of their way to child-proof their home. He's calling those who are stronger, more mature in the faith, to make sure they're looking out for, loving, protecting those who are less mature in the faith. But here's the problem. And this is why when Paul wrote his letters to all these different churches around the Roman Empire, because he got reports back of problems in the church. And he, as an apostle, had the authority under the inspiration of the Spirit to deal with those problems. And so one of the problems in the church of Rome is that there were those who did not love, protect, or bear with others in the church. Just the opposite, there were some in the church who were being insensitive, and they were causing other believers 
to stumble. So look at chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 13 right now. Chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a what? A stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. Here's your first point. Those who are strong in the faith should never cause those who are weaker in the faith to stumble. <clears throat> when I was in high school, um, I loved soccer, still do. You know, many of you are watching football this afternoon. I'm looking forward to the MLS playoffs. It's just who I am. It's how I grew up. When I was in high school, I played soccer uh, for Plant High School over in the Tampa Bay area. And just an uh, amazing time in my life. Um, it kept me, soccer and sports kept me out of a lot of trouble that kids get into. And just being a part of a team and having buddies and friends and, um, that you knew and that you could joke around with and that you could spend time with um, and the, the, the values in, 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 in sports and in team efforts, it's just, it really positively impacted my life. And so one day we were playing um, a, a local high school in the Tampa Bay area and I was there, I played right uh, center and what happened was that the, the ball was cleared all the way down the field away from where I was, and so everybody turned, and including the referee, to follow the play, to follow the ball, and when the referee had his back to me, this big dude on the other team literally comes up from behind me and kicks my legs right out from under me, and I was like, Bam, face right in the dirt, right? Now, in those days, I was about 120 pounds soaking wet. And so it's not like I could get up and take this guy on or anything, right? But I remember being so offended and so annoyed. Why? Because the big dude, someone who was stronger, he purposely caused me to stumble. And so in the Church of Rome, there were those who were mature in the faith, who were doing things to cause others to stumble. They were kicking the legs out from under other people in the church who were just trying to serve the Lord the best they knew how. They maybe didn't have a really good grasp on the scriptures yet. They maybe really didn't have a, a, a mature faith yet, but they were growing, they were trying, and yet there were some in the church and they were kicking the legs out from under those who were weaker. You say, what were they doing? What were these stronger people doing? They were exercising certain liberties in an insensitive way. Now, that's an important statement to help you understand where we are in the Bible. What were those, some of those in the, in, the, in the church of Rome who were stronger, farther along in their walk with the Lord, what were they doing to cause others to stumble in the church? What they were doing is that they were exercising certain liberties in a very insensitive way. And so that's why Paul says now in verse 14, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but, it's very important there, to him who considers anything to be unclean, <clears throat> to him it's unclean. 
And now, what in the world did Paul mean by the word unclean? He defines it in the very next verse. Right? You use the Bible to interpret the Bible? Yet, verse 15, if your brother is grieved because of your what? Food. Okay, so when Paul says in verse 14 that I know that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers it unclean, to him it is unclean, what did he mean by the word unclean? He was talking about food. Unclean was a Jewish way in those days of referring to non-kosher food. As I said last week, the law of Moses can be divided into two general categories. And I'm going to repeat this again because I, I think this will help you in your walk with the Lord, help you to rightly divide the word of truth, okay? And so two general categories back in the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that is that there was the moral law, remember this, and there was the ceremonial law. Okay, so the moral law is encapsulated by the ten commandments, all of which, except for one, are repeated in the New Testament. Okay, so don't have any other gods before me. And I'm repeating the Ten Commandments again because these are important, church family. I mean, if I were to ask, you know, every Christian in America, every born-again Christian in America, quote the Ten Commandments, they probably would come up with two. And yet, this is God's moral law. And so what are the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. What God? Yahweh, the only God, the one and true God. By the way, the God of the Jews, okay? You shall have no other God before me. You're not to make any graven image. Don't carve out any idol and bow down to it. That's wrong, it's commandment number two. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Number four, this is the one that's not repeated in the New Testament, keep holy the Sabbath day. Why isn't it repeated in the New Testament? Because Christians, we don't have to observe the Sabbath and cease from working from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. Why? Because Exodus 31 says that the Sabbath is for Israel. It doesn't say it's for the church. There is a dispensation of law and there is a dispensation of grace in the word of God. And when you understand that, you'll be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Honor your father and mother. Number six, don't murder. Seven, don't commit adultery. Eight, don't steal. Nine, don't lie. And 10, don't covet. And so it's important to keep these commandments, listen, not to be saved, but because we're saved. You guys get that? You don't keep commandments to be saved. When I was first saved, um, came to know the Lord, uh, there was a, a Catholic priest, and I was burdened for my neighbor, an older guy who I mowed his lawn, and then, uh, this guy and I had a great relationship, a uh, close relationship. I kind of looked at him as kind of a grandfather, and I was concerned for his soul, because he had a stroke, and I went to the Catholic priest, and I said, you know, I'm concerned for this guy, and the Catholic priest told me, hey, as long as he's kept the Ten Commandments, he'll be okay. That's what he told me, God honest truth. And by the way, the same Catholic priest told me, um, you don't have to be born again. That's what he told me. And so, listen, how are we saved? Is it by living a good life, yes or no? Is it by keeping God's commandments, yes or no? No, 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 
right? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift. Everybody say gift. Gift of God, not of works, not of works, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We don't keep the Ten Commandments to be saved. We receive Jesus Christ as our only hope to be saved. And then, okay, we don't keep the commandments to be saved. We keep the commandments because we're saved. The commandments are important. The moral law of God is important. And when we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the eternal God comes to live inside of us. And when we rely on his power, listen, this is, this is a message for somebody here today. God will enable you when you rely on his power to keep his moral law. He'll do that. It'll become your lifestyle. And so the ceremonial law now was different. It had to do with the customs that were particular to the nation of Israel. And a big part of the customs in the ceremonial law had to do with, listen, dietary laws, which for your enjoyment later on this week, you can read all about it in Leviticus chapter 11. By the way, I thought about Leviticus being our next book in the Bible starting in January, verse by verse. Uh, but then God said, uh, no. <laughs> but you still should know Leviticus. You still should read Leviticus because it'll help you understand the New Testament. And so the New Testament makes it clear that believers in Christ are not under the ceremonial law. What does that mean? That means believer in Christ, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. That means that we don't have to circumcise our sons. Now, you may do that for medical or hygiene reasons, but you don't have to, there's no religious reason for you to circumcise your sons. You don't have to observe Jewish holidays. You don't have to maintain a kosher diet. Paul knew this better than anybody. Why? Because he knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand, and he wrote most of the New Testament. And so Paul knew that he had the liberty to eat whatever he wanted to, kosher or non-kosher. Like, like Peter, when he was up on the, the top of, uh, of the, the rooftop of, I think it was Simon the Tanner, remember the, the big blanket comes down from heaven, it's filled with unclean, non-kosher food? What did the voice from heaven say to Peter? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, I'm Jewish. I've never eaten anything that's not, that's not kosher before. What was the message? The message is that, hey, don't call unclean what God has called clean. Now, I know primarily he's not talking about food there. He's talking about us Gentiles. Don't call unclean what God has called clean. When a Gentile who didn't grow up on the law of Moses turns to Yeshua as Messiah, the, the blood of Jesus washes that Gentile dog where all of his sins are forgiven past, present, future. And so Peter, don't you ever call what God has made clean unclean. And I'm illustrating that with his food coming down from heaven. All right, so Paul knew this. Paul knew he could eat whatever he wanted to, but Paul also knew that not all his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ had come to that place in their spiritual walk with the Lord. You guys realize Jews are being saved in the first century. They're coming into the Roman church, the church of Ephesus, the church of Corinth, the church of Colossae, et cetera, et cetera. And not all Paul's Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ had reached that place in their walk with the Lord. That's why Paul says in verse 14, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is what? It's unclean. 
For, listen, this is important for the rest, the rest of the message. For me, it's not a sin, but for some people, it's a sin. You see that? Okay? And so I love Paul because Paul, instead of being insensitive, instead of telling his Jewish brothers and sisters, get over it, he was like that parent that child-proofs their home. He was caring. He was sensitive. He was protective toward them. And so concerning Jewish believers in Christ who had not come to a full understanding of their freedoms in Christ, Paul refused to eat non-kosher food in front of them. Did you know that? He refused. He didn't want to do anything to Jews or Gentiles that would cause them to stumble. But there was people in the church of Rome, they weren't as kind as Paul. Their attitude was, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. I don't care who's looking at me. I'm free in Christ. They need to get over it. They need to get a life. They need to come and, and mature in the Lord. And Paul says, man, you're kicking the legs out of these people. How did Paul respond to these people? Look at verse 15. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in what? What's your next point? Love is a higher priority than liberty. So important. Love is a higher priority than liberty. Paul's message to those who are more mature, I mean, they sometimes weren't acting like it, but Paul's message to those who are more mature in the church of Rome is stop exercising your liberties in an insensitive way because love is a higher priority than liberty. And so Paul would say to a Gentile believer in Christ, hey, if you know this Jewish man comes into the church and he receives Yeshua as his Messiah, hey, Gentile brother, you need to understand something. That man grew up on the law of Moses ever since he was this big. It was ingrained in his head. And so a month after he gets saved, don't invite him over to your house for dinner and serve pork chops. Don't do that. That's being insensitive. That's being unloving. That's not walking in love. Love's a higher priority than liberty. In the context of 1 Corinthians 8, seems like a whole different subject there. But Paul would say to those in the church of Corinth who were more mature in the faith, hey, if a Gentile comes through your back door and they receive Jesus and they get saved, you gotta understand something, that that Gentile um, used to be involved in paganism. They used to go down to the temple of Zeus and, and sacrifice animals to Zeus. They used to go to the temple of Diana. Maybe some of them got involved in temple prostitution. And, and when they came to Christ and the peace that surpasses all understanding came upon them and all their sins were washed away, you gotta understand something. They don't want anything to do with that former life again. And so when you invite them over for your house for dinner a month after they get saved, don't serve them meat that's been offered to an idol. But Paul, I got it for sale down at the market. Doesn't matter. Spend a little extra money, get a, bu a butcher that's gonna make sure that he knows that meat didn't come from the temple, the pagan temple, 
so that you don't defile this guy's conscience. Is this making sense to you guys, yes or no? All right, so love is a higher priority than your liberty. Now look at verse 15 again. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're not walking in love. I, I love this. This is, this is strong right here at the end of verse 15. Do not, what's the word? See how strong that word is? I looked it up in the Greek. I was like, that's really rough. Are we sure that this means destroy? Yep, it means destroy, ruin. Do not destroy with your food by exercising your liberty. The one for whom Christ did what for? Here's your next point. If Christ was willing to lay down his life, we should be willing to lay down our liberties. Now, here's where I'll get a little controversial, but that's okay. What kind of liberties are we talking about? Look over verse 21. If you're looking at Romans 14, verse 21, just say amen. Okay, I'm gonna wait a minute because some of you guys are getting there. So let me try it again. If you're looking at verse 21, say amen, so I know you're there. Okay, you guys are looking at it. It's God's word. It's important you follow along and just don't take what I say. Check me out. Okay, verse 21, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Imagine this. Imagine if um, there's a believer in Christ who's struggling with alcohol. You say, Pastor, believers struggle with alcohol? Oh, yeah. This person is struggling with alcohol, and the Holy Spirit finally breaks through and speaks to this guy's heart and says, I want you to give this stuff up once and for all. Be done with it. This guy knows he heard from the Lord, and so he takes that step. He goes out and gets some help. And by the way, if you're here today and you're struggling with alcohol, you will never beat it in and of yourself. You need help. Number one, you need the help of God. Number two, you need the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this guy goes out, he gets the help, and he, lo and behold, stops drinking. And lo and behold, he's sober for a whole year. He's not perfect, but he's enjoying sobriety. And he's still, from time to time throughout that year, he still craves alcohol, but with God's help, man, he's been sober. But then imagine one night, he goes to Olive Garden. And he's there at Olive Garden, and he looks across the restaurant, and there in one of the booths is Pastor Mike and his wife Stacy, enjoying date night together. And then he looks over again, and he sees that I'm drinking a beer, and Stacy's sipping some wine. Okay, now what's gonna happen inside of that guy as soon as he sees that? All the struggles that he's had in the past with alcohol resurfaces. And now all of a sudden, all these thoughts flood his mind. Did I really hear from God a year ago? Am I being a little legalistic? You know, maybe that wasn't God who spoke. Maybe I'm being too strict on myself. Is it such a big deal just to have a beer? I mean, 
Apparently, it's okay to drink because Pastor Mike and Stacy look like they're really enjoying themselves over there. So what does he do? He walks over to the bar and he orders a beer. The problem is one beer turns into two. Two turns into three. And as he's driving home, he stops at the local gas station. He orders a whole, buys a whole case of beer. And the next thing you know, he has completely fallen off the wagon. What has, St- what, what has Stacy and I done to that person? We have, end of verse 15, destroyed with our drink the one whom Christ died for. We've kicked the legs out from underneath that person. We've hindered their walk with Christ. And I know there's some people probably in this church and they have the attitude, I'll drink in public if I want to drink in public. They just need to get over it. They just need to get alive. They need to grow up in the Lord. I'm not going to... I'm not gonna, you know, stop exercising my liberties because people have these scruples. And so I'll do whatever I wanna do. Listen, listen. If Christ was willing to lay down his life, shouldn't we be willing to lay down our liberties? Why would we risk stumbling somebody in their walk with the Lord? Because we wanna have a drink. Now, Stacy and I, this is our conviction, we don't drink at all. We don't drink publicly, we don't drink privately. And we have lots of reasons why we don't do that. Uh, number one, you know, people say to, uh, to me, you know, I drink because I, I need to de-stress after a long day of work. Well, have you ever tried the Holy Spirit? I mean, seriously, have you ever tried prayer? Have you ever tried a prayer walk where it's just you and the Lord, one-on-one? and you experience the peace that surpasses all understanding and you're de-stressed. You see, I mean, alcohol may do that, but I, I know someone who can do a, lot, a whole lot better job. The Holy Spirit through prayer. If you're going through all kind of anxiety in your life, listen, the peace that surpasses all understanding comes in the context of a relationship. Everybody say relationship. Because here's the problem, people live for themselves, live for themselves, and never have their devotions, and, and all of a sudden, they have this little five-minute prayer. I tried prayer, it didn't work. I'm still, I'm still anxious. No, it's in the context of a relationship with the Lord, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Stacy and I choose not to drink because we don't want occasional drinking to turn into an addiction. You know, there was a mega church pastor just in the last couple months in the southeast part of the United States, and I'm talking about a mega, mega church. And his occasional drinking, his liberty, turned into an addiction, and he had to resign from the church. How do you think those 20, 25, 30,000 people in that church felt after that happened? You see, it's a dangerous, with the pressures of ministry, or, and, and, and I'm sensitive to all of your careers, and I know all of you, I, I have stress, I have issues, Right, you have stress, you have issues, okay? It's a dangerous thing to mix alcohol with problems and stress and issues. It's a, it's a banana peel, it's a slippery slope. And though you did not intend to do more than occasionally drink, it can turn into an addiction. Third reason we choose not to drink publicly or privately is we don't wanna spend money on alcohol when we can spend it on better things. 
like sponsoring an orphan in Haiti. My um, case of beer or the survival of a little kid in Haiti. Hmm. It's awfully quiet in here. Another reason we choose not to drink is we don't want to cause anybody to stumble, which is our verses today. What is God calling you to do? Look at verse 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, right? Don't let the exercise of your liberty be spoken of as evil because you're insensitive and you caused your brother to stumble. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There it is right there, verse 17. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. I mean, Jesus came and he inaugurated the kingdom and he was here in the flesh. He left everything in the hands of 12 men. And so he's coming back one day, as I said earlier in my prayer, and he's gonna um, um, reestablish the kingdom physically on the earth. We all can't wait for that day. But in the meantime, the kingdom of God is still here through the church, and it's all about righteousness. It's all about peace. It's all about joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things, what things? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for what? Peace. And the things by which one may what? Edify one another. Here's your next point. The kingdom of God is about spiritual things, not temporal things. That's what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not about temporal things like food and drink. It's not what it's about. It's about eternal things, spiritual things like righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so I gotta ask you this morning, have you received, and this is kind of a theological term, um, I'll explain it in a minute, but have you received the positional righteousness of Christ? That's step number one. That's the foundation. That's the basis of where you spend eternity. Have you received the positional righteousness of Christ? By turning from your own way and turning to Jesus as your only hope and putting your faith, hope, trust in his death that he died as we sang a little while ago. My death, he paid my penalty. He suffered for me. He died for me. He paid for my sins and then he rose again the third day and I by faith receive him as my savior and Lord and right then my position becomes a son, a daughter of God and I am righteous not because I'm self-righteous, but because Christ was righteous in my place. You see that? Have you received the positional righteousness of Christ and has that positional righteousness yield the fruit of practical righteousness? It doesn't all happen, you know, in one or two or three days or not even one or two or three months or years. But after a while, again, day by day, month by month, week by week, the positional righteousness of Christ, true salvation, yields the fruit of practical righteousness. And now the Holy Spirit is not just living in me. He's overflowing me. He's going through me. He's empowering me to say yes to righteousness and no to sin. You see, that's Christianity right there. It's not food and drink. It's righteousness and peace, peace. Do you experience regularly the peace that surpasses all understanding? Or are you constantly on edge, constantly anxious? Joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you regularly experience 
joy indescribable and full of glory. That's Christianity. You know, it's not food and drink. It's the joy of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit will give you such greater joy than a bottle of booze will give you. So much greater joy. And so he says there in verse 19, therefore let us pursue these things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify. And so as we experience God's righteousness, we share God's righteousness with others. As we experience um, God's peace, we share that peace with others. As we experience God's joy, we share that joy with others. We're not causing people to stumble. What are we doing? We're lifting them up. We're edifying them. Look at verse 20. He says, do not destroy, there's that word again, ruin the work of God. I want you to think of, I don't know, a, 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 a priceless painting by whoever, Rembrandt. Okay, think about that for a second. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for the sake of exercising your liberty. All things are indeed pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense, right? Some things are, may not be sin for you, but they'll be sin for others. Verse 21 again, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Okay, so what you're doing when you're exercising your liberty in an insensitive way, you're taking a, a can of spray paint, walking up to that Rembrandt, um, Rembrandt painting and you're what you're doing, the work of God. Except the human life that you're ruining by exercising your liberty in an insensitive way is so much more valuable than that ancient piece of art. Okay, and so verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Here's your next point. Exercise your freedom carefully and discreetly. That's how we are, to, we are to exercise our freedoms, carefully and discreetly. And so there's things in the Bible that are crystal clear, and there's other things in the Bible that are not so clear. There are black and white issues in the Word of God, and then there are gray areas in life, right? I talked about this last week. There's biblical convictions. The Bible is clear. What do we do? Man, we, we teach, we reprove, we exhort. That's what I do every single Sunday. That's what we do in our life groups. But then there's these gray areas. There's these personal um, convictions here. And so when it comes to the gray areas of life, please listen to this. If you're with me, say amen right here. Amen. When it comes to gray areas, you've got to follow your conscience. Let your conscience be your guide, right? And as you grow, it'll be the Holy Spirit um, helping you to have a healthy conscience. And so look at verse 22 again. I wanna make sure you guys understand this. Verse 22, do you have faith? Okay, what does he mean there? Do you have faith? He's not talking about saving faith here. Keep it in the context. Do you have faith? In other words, are you fully convinced in your mind that exercising a certain liberty is okay with God? That's what he means right there. 
Do you have faith? In other words, are you fully convinced in your mind that exercising whatever gray area is okay between you and the Lord? All right, rest of verse 22. Have it to yourself before God. In other words, exercise that liberty between you and God. In other words, exercise your freedom carefully and discreetly so you don't cause anybody to stumble. So do you, I don't know, but do you have the freedom between you and God to drink in moderation? All right, exercise that liberty where no one will be stumbled. Do you have the liberty, I don't know, uh, to smoke a cigar? Okay, if you have that liberty between you and God, exercise that liberty where no one will be stumbled. In other words, don't show up at the next youth event, at the next youth camp out, and light up a big stogie in front of a bunch of teenagers. Don't do that. Well, they just need to get over it. They need to grow up. No, you're causing them to stumble. Exercise your liberty carefully. Exercise it discreetly. And, and I got to say this because people always come up to me about smoking after the service. Pastor Mike, you didn't say your temple, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I know. I know that. So someone says, well, will, will smoking keep me out of heaven? No but it will help you get there sooner, okay? <laughs> so you wanna enjoy a cigar, you have the liberty to do that? Do that in an area where people are not gonna be stumbled. Happy are you if you don't condemn yourself in what you approve. And now look at verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned Strong words Paul uses here, because here's the thing, these are very real issues in people's lives. How many of you guys know that everybody's growing in the Lord? None of us have arrived. Nobody knows this book that well yet. In fact, the deeper I get into this book, the more I realize not how much I know, the more I realize how much I don't know. We're all growing, okay? And so, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is what? Okay, here's your point. Never violate your conscience. My church family, I'm trying to help you here because this is an important one right here. God gave you a conscience. He gave me a conscience. And it's like a warning light. It goes off inside of us whenever we're about to do something we think is wrong. By the way, it may not be wrong. <laughs> But as we're growing in the Lord, if we think it's wrong, we have this conscience inside of us, and it will, warning, warning, warning. That's why, it's, by the way, it's so important to get in the Word every single day, uh, because as you grow in the Word, sometimes you'll see, I, I know this happened in my life, that some of the things that I used to bother my conscience don't anymore because it's not an issue in the Bible. Okay, but let me go back to my point. Never, never, never violate your conscience over gray areas and especially over black and white areas. Just don't violate your conscience. Why? Because it's a warning light that God gave each one of us. If the warning light flashes in your heart, no, no, no. Here's a great principle I, I, my wife and I learned years ago back in youth group. It still sticks with me to this day. When in doubt, don't. That could be applied to so many areas of life. When in doubt, by the way, that's exactly what verse 23 says. When in doubt, don't. And so if you're about to do something you think is wrong, 
your conscience is, is bothering you, when in doubt, don't. Now Paul said back in verse five, let each person be convinced in his own mind. Be fully convinced in your own mind. And so again, look at verse 14, okay? He says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean, okay? It may not be a sin for me, but it's sin for some people. Look at verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense, okay? So what may not be a sin for me may be a sin for you. In fact, it may be darn right evil. You see that in verse 20? And then verse 23 again, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is what? Sin. Okay, and so let me just throw some things out there. There may be certain movies or TV shows that bother your conscience. I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, but you know that when you turn on that TV program, or that movie, it's bothering your conscience. Okay, what should you do? When in doubt, don't. Don't sit there and just suppress your conscience. Here's why, because when you suppress your conscience in gray areas, it becomes easier for you to suppress your conscience in black and white areas later. Did everybody get that? Is everybody with me here? Because some people sear their consciences and a lot of them are in state penitentiaries today, okay? And so don't listen to your conscience. Okay, so if there's a TV show or a movie and you're bothering your conscience, when in doubt, don't. Will you give that up to the Lord? Maybe there's certain music, and when you listen to it, it bothers your conscience because the words or whatever. When in doubt, don't. Are you willing to give that up for the Lord? Maybe there's certain books you've been reading, they bother your conscience. When in doubt, don't. Are you willing to give that up for the Lord? Maybe you've been drinking or smoking. Maybe you've been doing that in your life and your conscience is being bothered. The Holy Spirit's working inside of you saying, you know, this thing's become a weight in your life. You know, you're running the race for Jesus. You know, if I was to run um, against, any, is anybody a runner in here? Help me out real quick. Does anyone love to run? Raise your hand. Are, there's no runners in here at all? <laughs> what is your name right here with the glasses? What's your name, brother? Yeah. Mauricio? Mauricio. All right, Mauricio, here's what I know about Mauricio. That if Mauricio went out and I went out to the track today and ran a 100-yard dash, he would smoke me. I could tell right now his age, his youth, his, his size there, he would absolutely smoke me, okay? Now, if I go out there with Mauricio and I say, wait, and I put two five-pound weights around his legs and then to his belt, I attach a concrete block. I'm gonna smoke him. <laughs> I'm gonna feel real good about myself after I do that, right? All right, so, so maybe some of you have been smoking or drinking or doing something else, and the Lord's telling you right now, it's a weight. Hey, will, will you give that up to me? Will you let that go so you can run and win this race I've called you to? 
And so what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Let's review our points before we close. So first point, those who are strong in the faith should never cause those who are weaker in the faith to stumble. So right now, examine your heart and life. Examine your heart and life and ask yourself, am I doing anything that's stumbling other people? And by the way, especially your kids, parents, please don't do anything to stumble your kids. That's another, another reason my wife and I never drank because we didn't want our little kids opening up the, the, the refrigerator and seeing you know, a, a six pack of Bud Light. They never saw that all their 20 something years of growing up. They never once saw that because I didn't wanna do anything to stumble them. Number two, love's a higher priority than liberty. Are you willing to actually put loving other people a higher priority than exercising your liberty? The next point, if Christ was willing to lay down his life, are you willing to lay down your liberties? Are you willing to give those things up? Next point, the kingdom of God is about spiritual things, not temporal things. Hey, it's all about righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. And so exercise your freedom carefully and discreetly. If God's given you the freedom to do something, just look out not to be a stumbling block and then never, ever violate your conscience. Never do anything in your life um, that is going to go against that warning light that God has put inside of your heart. That's the message of the Lord through the Apostle Paul inspired for the Church of Rome, for our church today, for you. Maybe some of you guys are holding on to some things in your life and they're not gray areas. Maybe they're <clears throat> black and white issues. Maybe it's things the Word of God is really clear about. And what you've been doing is you've been violating, violating, violating your conscience about this black and white issue. What you gotta understand is that your conscience is kinda like a, a three-pronged, imagine a three, imagine a ball with three prongs on it and the prongs are sharp and when you violate your conscience, ow, like, ow. But every time that thing turns over, the sharp edges get duller and duller and duller. And the next thing you know, you are freely doing black and white issues that you should not be doing and it doesn't even bother you anymore. This is a, a warning this morning for you. Maybe you're, you're engaging in things the Bible's crystal clear on and it's like, it's, it's like a cinder block. And there you are on the Atlantic Ocean of life and you're trying to keep your head above water and you're trying to live victorious in the Lord but this thing's pulling you down and you feel like you're drowning. I'm not gonna be the Holy Spirit but I'm sure the Holy Spirit may be revealing that to you right now. Here's the good news. You ready for some good news? Jesus is there on the lifeboat and he's got the life preserver and he just threw it out to you. And he says, grab it brother, grab it sister. I wanna save you, you don't have to drown. I'll save you, I'll cut that chain, I'll break that chain. I'll give you the power not to allow that to take you under. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we wanna help. 
visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.